Isaiah 55, 1 through 13, beginning in verse 1. This is a pauper's invitation. Does anybody know what a pauper is? A poor person. A poor person. A pauper's invitation. This is something that goes out to the Gentile. This is something that goes out to the Jew. This is something that goes out to the Cooney in South Louisiana, all the way up to the Yankee in Shreveport. Y'all follow? Some of y'all got that? I tried to keep it in the state. This is a general invitation to salvation. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 1 says. It says, Ho, take notice of. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Take notice of. Everyone. Does it say just the Jews? No. No, it says everyone, right? Yes. And so this is a general invitation. This is an invitation to the paupers that we're going to get into here in just a moment. But this is an invitation from the Lord to come. Everyone, Jew, Gentile, all peoples of every land, everyone. And then it says this, who thirsts? Oh, everyone who thirsts. Then there's a stipulation that's put on this passage of Scripture. What is it? Those that thirst. We have to thirst first before we can come. We have to have that desire to be filled up. We have to be thirsty. There are people that are not thirsty and they won't be filled up. They have no desire to seek the Lord. They have no desire to do the things of Christ because they're not thirsty. They could care less. But for those that are thirsty, everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, he says to what? Come. Everyone who thirsts, come to me. Come to the waters. Do you thirst? Do you thirst for something to satisfy the void and the dry, empty hole in your heart? I'm talking to everybody. You know, as Christians, when we get away from God's Word, when we get out of fellowship with the Lord, and when we get away from the saints of God... You know, we become thirsty for it, don't we? Yes. Amen. But for those that are lost, when that thirst appears, when that void is acknowledged, and that hole becomes apparent that cannot be filled, that thirst becomes all-consuming. And it has to be quenched. And here we have an invitation for that. Ho, everyone who thirsts. The invitation is to come to the waters. Those that thirst for water. Water that will be a spring welling up inside to where you will never thirst again. To where that void will be filled. 
The water that's spoken of here in this passage of Scripture, I told you the book of Isaiah is, has, has so much of Jesus in it. It's, it's just uncanny how much is, is there. And the, the, what we're talking about here, the water that's spoken of here is Christ Jesus. We see this in the Gospels in John chapter 4 and uh, verse 14 where he's talking to the woman at the well. If y'all recall that, you'll know what I'm talking about. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. This is what Jesus tells the woman at the well. So the water that we're speaking about here is Christ. The fountain has been opened. It's been turned on. The rock has been split just as it was in the desert. The waters have been made sweet just as they were in the desert. And it comes from Christ. The fountain is flowing. And it's flowing freely. You can partake of it. You can have it. These are the same fountains that, that make glad the city of God, the church of the living God, according to the book of Psalms, according to the book of Revelations. It makes, it makes the church glad. It makes us rejoice. The waters that flow from Christ Jesus. Let's, let's move on. Listen to what it says. Come to the waters. Notice it says waters. Come to the waters. There is an abundance. There is, there is plenty to have. You've got a lot of sin. The Lord Jesus has a lot of water to cover that sin. Verse 1, it says, and you will have, and, and you who have no money, come by and eat. This is a very, very strange passage of Scripture. It tells us that if we, for those that have no money, to come by and eat. It's very strange, but yet it's not. This is a pauper's invitation. This is for those that are poor, those that have nothing, those that are broken and downtrodden, those that are contrite in spirit, those that are busted, those that are broke. This is an open opportunity, invitation to come and to take freely. You know, what's so odd about this is that if you could buy salvation... People would be standing in line to buy it. But salvation here, in this passage, tells us that it is free on our behalf. Now, there was a price that was paid for it. But to us, it is free. It's a pauper's invitation. For the wealthy... Your money is no good here. It just isn't. You can't buy this. It's, it's no good. It has no value. You, you cannot. It's, it's nothing. Why? Because it's free and it's already been paid for. 
It says, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Here it is again, buy. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why would we want wine? In the Old Testament, it was to make glad the saints of God. It was, or people in general, it was used at, at weddings to make glad and to make a merry heart. It's to give life. Yes, yes. It's life-giving. Jesus turned the water into wine because it was a joyous occasion. He says, come and come and get your wine for free. Then he says, milk. What's milk up to now? About $5 a gallon? Yes. <laughs> milk is for nourishment for the body. It strengthens the bones. It's, it's, it strengthens the body. It's good. It puts fat on you. Come buy wine and milk. It's free. It's been paid for. And Christ has it all. Yes, yes. And He's telling us to come and to get it. He's telling us to come and to get it. Verse 2 it says... Listen, listen to what it says, and it's all about vanity, fleeting wind, and vexation. Listen to what it says in verse 2. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? Why do you, why, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Why? Why, why do we do that? Why do we spend money on things that, that don't satisfy? We know that money cannot satisfy the heart. Buying things and stuff does not satisfy. I've tried it. Buy one cow, I want two. Buy two cows, I want three. Buy three, I want 40. Buy 40, I want 200. Why? Because it's, it, you, can't, you can't satisfy the flesh. You cannot. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Verse 2, it says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And eat what is good. What is good? The scripture says there's none good, no, not one, except our Lord, right? We're to feast on Christ. Yes. He is to be our everything. Yes, yes. Our everything. He says, listen carefully. Listen. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Here it is again. We see plural with the word waters, which is more than enough. And here we have abundance, which is our portion than some. We have all that we need. He says, come and delight yourself in abundance. And then in verse 3, he says this again, incline your ear. 
What does that mean to incline your ear? To turn towards what's being said. This invitation that is being given right here in Isaiah chapter 55. He is saying, incline your ear, turn and listen to what is being said. Don't let it fall on deaf ears. Don't let it fall on dead ears. Don't let it fall on ears that are not circumcised, that cannot hear. Turn and listen. He says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good. In verse 3, incline your ear and come to me. Then he says this, listen. You think it's important that we hear what the word of God says? And this gospel invitation that's been given here in Isaiah in chapter 55, it says it over and over and over. It talks about the word. It talks about us listening. It talks about us hearing. Listen, incline. Listen, carefully, incline. I think it's safe to say that we need to do what? Thank you, Judy. We need to listen. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Did you catch that? Listen that you may live. Then at the end of verse 3, he tells us this, And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The God of heaven and earth wants to make an everlasting covenant with you. We know according to Scripture that God is faithful. If we fail and become unfaithful, He cannot deny Himself. He is still faithful and He will uphold His end of the covenant whether we do or whether we don't. Amen. He's the everlasting God. Yes, yes, he is. Incline and listen. He is a covenant maker and He is a covenant keeper. He is faithful. He made the covenant. He will keep it. He cannot break their everlasting covenant that he has made with us because that would go against himself. And he can't do that. Verse 4 says, Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples. Here we have what we're talking about here. We're talking about Jesus. And this is what Jesus would be. He would be a witness. And what better person to be a witness than Christ Jesus? Where there is no lie in him, where he is completely true, where he's been in the bosom of the Father from before the beginning, he can testify to what he knows and to what he has seen, to what he has heard, to who he is. He is the faithful and true witness. Behold, I have made him a witness. This is Jesus to the peoples. Not to the angels and not to the dogs and not to the cows. He's made him a witness to the peoples because he wants an intimate relationship with the peoples. Not just the Jew, but the Gentile as well. Listen to what it says. 
Not only is he a witness to the peoples, but he is also a leader. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He is a leader and commander for the peoples. I watch a lot of war movies. And often I see generals. Generals and they will, they will tell their men where to go in battle and what to do. As they sit maybe hundreds of miles away or I, I don't know how far away. But they tell them what to do and they go and do it. No, no, no. See, Jesus is not like that. Jesus is the good shepherd. But he's also the five-star general that goes out as a good shepherd does before his sheep. But now he's also a leader. He is a commander. He goes out before the people and he fights with the people. This five-star general is not some some foreign land where we don't know where he's at. He is with us in the thick of battle. He is with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is a witness to the peoples. He is a leader for the people. He is the good shepherd. He is a commander for the peoples. He is the Lord of hosts. Joshua stood before him on the battlefield before they took Jericho. You remember that? Jesus Christ, captain of the armies of the Lord, going before you. He is a leader, the good five-star general. Does it go up to five stars, Nelson, or four stars? Five? Five, that's right. Let's say he's the ten-star general. How about that? Let's know what it says. I've made him a witness to the peoples. I've made him a leader to the peoples. I've made him a commander for the peoples. A witness, a leader, and a commander. Our Christ, the anointed one, our Jesus. Born of a virgin. In Bethlehem, the Galilean, the the Nazarene. A pauper whose father worked hard, natural father of, in construction, carpentry. Here we have this leader and commander for the peoples. And then it says this about him. And this is what gets my heart and my blood flowing because... This is about me. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know. And a nation which knows you not will run to you. Because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel. The Gentiles will be called. The Gentiles will run to the Lord. And this is what's happening still now today all across the globe. In Arab countries, in Africa, people are flocking to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are running to Him. And I'm thankful for that. I wished and I pray and I desire that that would happen in America today. But we know that the Gentiles across the world 
right now. There is revival taking place. People being called by the droves into the church of God. That have never acknowledged the Lord. Those that have never acknowledged who He is and His attributes are now running towards Him. I spoke with my dear friend in Nigeria the other day and just from the simple money that we gave him, $120. He was able to do a a Christmas project in Nigeria where he bought a little bit of food and some chairs for people to sit in and some presents for the children. And adults were saved and children were saved. People that once have never acknowledged the Creator are now flocking to Him, being called by Him. Verse 6, it says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. In other words, while we have breath. Because soon we'll all be pushing up daisies. Is that right or wrong? Amen. We will all be pushing up daisies if the Lord tarries. Seek Him while He may be found. While we have breath, seek the Lord. Call upon Him. Repent or turn. And that's what this, this whole next section is about. And listen to it. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Verse 7, it says, Let the wicked forsake His way. What is He talking about here? That's repentance. That's to turn in the opposite direction of where you were going and where you were headed. Seek Him while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way. That means to repent. Repent. He says it again. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord. This is to repent. And then here in verse 7, at the end of it, it says, And he will have compassion on him. In verse 6 and 7, we see sinners. And at the end of 7, we see a God that has compassion on those sinners, don't we? And he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly... (laughs) He will abundantly pardon. Abundantly pardon. When you stand before the governor of the state, he can pardon you of something that you've done. I'm correct on that, I do believe, right? But for him to abundantly pardon and to keep abundantly pardoning and to keep going and to keep going and to keep going, they just don't do that. Well, our Lord Jesus abundantly pardons. That means past, present, and future sins. He pardons. He wipes clean. He forgives. 
Why would we not want that? It's crazy. Why would we not want that? It is, so, it is, it is free. Listen to what it says. Let's move on. For he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. I love this section of scripture. And, and if we look at it just a little bit different, I think, I think it will do us, uh, do us good. Because our thoughts are not the Lord's thoughts. And the plans that he has for our lives are not always, we don't always understand them. Because we try to reason things with things that are around us. Things that are under the sun. Things that we can tangibly see or hold on to. Things that are here. But that's not how the Lord works. You see, listen to what it says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways... So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Our ways must begin to look up to our wise counselor. Our affections must begin to look towards heaven and not the things that are around us. Because he is higher than us. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain, and then I, I love this, is as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. What's it talking about here? It's talking, it's giving us an example of rain and snow and it comes down and it accomplishes the will of God. It brings forth fruit and, and leaves begin to bud out and before long it, they begin to flower and then the fruit comes on that, that, that thing, whatever it is. It bears that fruit and this is what happens in our life. This is what happens when the word goes out and this is what happens when we listen and heed the word of God. It comes from above and we begin to bear fruit and it's just not a little bit of fruit. It's an abundance of fruit. We have to understand that his ways will be accomplished. I fought his ways for six years. Six years. From the time I was 18 to the time I was 24, I fought his ways. I did not want to preach. I did not want to be in front of people and I did not, did not want to stand and do what I'm doing right now. But his word went forth and it accomplished what it set out to do. And now I'm doing it and have been for 13 years. Listen to what it says. Verse 10. The rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. I praise God for that. Because where Matthew's words return empty, God's word 
does not. It does not. This is a promise that his word will not return to him empty. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. And here it says this, for you will go out with joy. The gospel of Jesus Christ sets us free. It sets us free. The, this, this, this water that's given to us freely, this milk and this wine that, is, that we don't have to buy for, this nourishment that is given to us from the Lord Jesus Christ, it makes us glad and we go out with joy and with high hands just as the children of Israel left, it, uh, left Egypt. We go out and, and we, we are led forth. It says, for you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. This is what happens when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and repentance. This is what happens. We are led forth with peace. We go out with joy. Even the earth rejoices. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you. And the trees of the field will clap their hands. The gospel, it just reverses the curse. Remember the curse that was placed on man back in the garden? The gospel just turns that around for us. And instead of thorns and instead of thistles, what does it do in our life? It brings forth good things. Instead of a man that is bearing thorns and bearing thistles, instead of a man's heart who is just, it's, his heart is thorny, his heart is just hard and it's just, it's just bad and it, whoever it gets around, it hurts, it harms, it pricks, it, it's just no good. The gospel can take that heart and turn it into soil that is broken, that is good, that does not bear thorns anymore. Listen to what it says. The mountains and the hills break forth into shouts of joy and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. Instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. This was my call to preach from God's Word. This may be your call to preach. This may be your call to go out and to tell others about Him. This may be your call, your pauper's invitation where your money is no good. Someone's already paid the price. This may be your call, your effectual, personal call to salvation. If it is, I beg of you, Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 1, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you have no money, come by and eat, come by milk and Wine without money and without cost. Listen carefully. Incline your ear. Listen to what the Lord says.
This morning, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, and you know that you have that void, and you know that you have that thirst, here is an open invitation to come just as you are. And to receive it freely by faith. Let's pray.